Welcome to Disrupt Disruption, a series of intimate interviews with global thought leaders and practitioners operating at the intersection of business, leadership and technology. We're discussing all things innovation and disruption and how to not only survive but thrive in these times of exponentially accelerating change. Trusted by CEOs, founders and leaders globally for the latest take on business models, methods, culture and leadership, we cut to the chase, debunk the hype and get real. You're in great company. I'm your host, Pascal Finette, co-founder of Be Radical. Hey everybody, Pascal here. We are back with another episode of Disrupt Disruption. Today we have a very special guest, Raphael Gilgen. Raphael and I met at Singularity University eons ago, or at least what feels like eons ago. And he's got an incredible job, which he has been in for quite a while. He's with a Swiss design company called Vitra. He's there as their trend scout on the future of work, life and learn. And this is what brought him to Singularity University originally. And since then, we have stayed in touch and have updated each other for quite a while. I'm really excited about this uh, this conversation. Raphael, it's so good to have you here. Yeah, now from Boulder, Colorado to Oberpfalz, Bavaria. How great is that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so first of all, tell us a little bit about what you actually do at Vitra. And maybe for those of our listeners who are not familiar with Vitra, say a few words about Vitra. Okay, first. So Vitra. We are a family-owned design company. So we believe in the power of, of design and beauty, special spaces. So we produce furniture. If you're sitting maybe in Singapore at the airport, you're sitting on furniture from Vitra. Maybe if you sit in a McDonald's, you sit on a Provincia from Vitra. Maybe or in an office all over the world, I would say the most beautiful ones use our furniture or maybe on a sofa or on a table. So for, for Vitra, what I do is I try to zoom out every day and try to understand how do we work in five or 10 years from now. Not how do we work tomorrow, how knowledge work is changing in general. And so this is my job. And to provide, uh, to find a lot of insights and out of the insights, I try to build a kind of a weather map to give us guidance and orientation. Our home, is the Vitra campus close to the Swiss-German border. And we get a lot around 360, 390,000 visitors every year. And I think this is special because on the Vitra campus is architecture from the leading architecture in the world. And I've been one of those 390,000 people a couple of years ago where I got a very special tour from you, which was absolutely incredible. So highly recommended. If you ever find yourself at the border between Germany and Switzerland, do go and visit the, the Vitra Museum. That being said, let's talk a little bit about the future of work and this notion around disruption, because clearly that space has been disrupted left, right, center, up and down. I remember the good old days where we talked about open offices is, the, is just the jam. And then just before the pandemic, that seemed to have shifted towards research indicating that it's actually not that great for productivity. Then we had the pandemic where everybody worked from home, where basically everybody said like, oh, offices are dead for good. And now we see, you know, Elon Musk saying like, you have to be in the office or you get fired. So I'm curious, high level, like that has been a roller coaster for you. Yeah, honestly. So... The, the story of knowledge work regarding the relationship to office space is not so old. 
It starts in the 2010 years when the cowboys from the Silicon Valley called the <laughs> leading architects to get the new super office like Twitter, Facebook, Google, all of them. They order a kind of supercomputer for physical interactions 12 years ago. And then out of a sudden, overnight, we transform in March 2020, 80-85% of any of our physical interactions into the virtual world, in these extended realities. Think about that. And what happens now is that corporate real estate in general is coming under pressure. I would say not in Asia, but in Europe or in the States, like in the old world, there are a lot of changes because... Now the workforce, they are aware about their opportunities out of remote first imperative. But second, they think the most of the office buildings are built to make money and not to host people. And I think this is the, the biggest shift. And the zoom out, we should come to that later, I think that is quite interesting. So curious to hear about your experience on when the big disruption of COVID-19 hit and nobody went to an office. I do remember literally reading articles which said offices are dead, people will never return to office. Now we seem to find somewhat an equilibrium with people kind of splitting their time between office and home. First question I had for you is, do you think from your perspective, was this something you actually saw pre-pandemic and it just the pandemic accelerated this trend? No, um, I never thought that remote work could be so strong so fast. Hmm. That, was, that was not in my mind, and that was not in the mind of the most of the futurists I know. That was not in mind of the real estate and even of the leading architects. Never. They still believe in these days in the power of the campus, the headquarter, this kind of center of gravity where everything happens. And then where do you see this going? So in, in a shorter term, we have to accept they are kind in the question, where do we work? There are two areas. One are the physical realities and one are the extended realities. The extended realities is everything what happens in the virtual world. If it is Zoom or Teams or WebEx or Metaverse knocking at the door. And if you are observing the extend the soft and hardware companies serving the extended realities, you see in these two or three years now, giant improvements in hardware and in. So the brother or sister of these extended realities are the new physical realities. And what you could see in the physical realities is, if you think about a city, for example, like New York, or maybe Boston, or maybe Denver, in the future, The city is the office and not the office is the office because hmm. there are things you could do quite best from home. There are things maybe where you need a little bit a vibrant atmosphere. Maybe you go to a coffee or to an entrance hall of a museum. And for sure, if you have a leg, uh, if you need the sense of belonging, if you want uh, to go to step in rituals with your coworkers, you would go to your office. Yeah, and now these two places are beating against each other hmm. because there's one limitation and that is time. And it is up to us where we spend our time. And the biggest loser is our average spaces. So bad design extended realities 
and bad design physical realities. These spaces will be the losers. There's no space anymore. No, there's, yeah, there's no space anymore for bad or average. Raphael, I'm curious, one thing I heard kind of towards the end of the pandemic was both from our clients as well as from academic partners we had, that they talked about work at home increased productivity, which kind of makes sense, right? Like you can make the arguments like probably less water cooler chat, like you spend less time drinking coffee with your colleagues, et cetera, et cetera. So if you have work which just needs to be done, work from home might be a good place. The counter is that they all talked about, both clients as well as academia, that creativity is down. So ink productivity up, creativity down, right? Because you do, which also makes intuitive sense because you don't see your colleagues, you don't have the random brainstorm. Do you see the same thing or did you see the same thing from your perspective? But also, how do we solve for this? Okay, so first, to understanding the big picture, there are a few facts. First <clears throat> is we have a global labor shortage. Wherever you are, all over the planet, there's a lack of labor, of workforce in general. So this means a company by themselves, they have to understand the opportunity of a remote first organization and architecture. That does not mean that you don't need an office anymore, but to have this kind of ability to adapt or this resilience in these years ahead of us, you have to move like mobile first, cloud first into remote first. So this gives you the freedom to operate as it's best. And then the time zone is the working zone and maybe not the city or the country where you live in. Mm -hmm. If you understand this perspective, then you come to the point, okay, what is the best space, even if it's virtual or physical, to do the best work? If you talk about physical realities, space for rituals, like rituals, uh, like uh, give us intimacy and trust, the coffee, the chat, uh, having lunch together, celebrating success. You can't do that at home. Second, uh, innovation in an early stage, coming up, framing the problem together. It's much more better in a space, in a kind of an exercise hall of a brain, instead of a microbot. And for the old world, I, I, maybe I take the US out, maybe I take Europe, the transformation of industries from the heavy asset industry area into the new one. For this giant transformation, it's not enough to do an e-learning. You have to bring the people together in a space where this transformation happens. Mm -hmm. So that means for that also you need these physical realities. But if you go to the surveys and to the papers of the leading companies, if it is Deloitte, McKinsey, whoever, they describe you could do today 70% of knowledge work remote in average. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What is your advice if <clears throat> I'm the CEO of a company and I'm like trying to figure out this world? You mentioned remote first as an imperative. From your experience, how do you go practically about this? What do you do? Okay. So what we do at Vitra, and we have uh, for sure global clients. I was recently in Korea and Japan, and sure you understand there are leading companies like the, I, I visit six of the top 10 in the most innovative companies in the world. So, so what we do is we offer our customers zoom out perspective. 
or mm -hmm. it's called designing futures. So first we believe that to design the future, you have to design the future from the future and not for today. Mm -hmm. And what I do that helps customer a little bit to design the future from the future. So to make a jump in five or 10 years from now. And with this, because we know a lot what could happen in 2027 or 2032 now. Yeah, there are a lot of papers outside. And with this kind of information, they challenge for sure they zoom in. And mm -hmm. that gives them a kind of direction and advices And I honestly believe they make other decisions. Just mm -hmm. to give you an idea, you're in the States, you're super familiar with technologies. You know how they work and you know what the benefit or value is using these technologies, whatever you do. If you're an insurance company, a producer or a tech company. In Europe, it's different. Yeah? In Europe, we address the responsibility for technology to the IT departments. And if these guys believe You don't have to see it. You will never see it. And you never learn it. You have a blind spot. So even you don't know how it works. And second is you have no idea what the value is. So yeah. first, I believe the key resource of the world of tomorrow is using these technologies and combine them. Who are advanced, like the Japanese or the Korean companies, they're really advanced using them. And by giving our customer this kind of information, we bring them like with a jump start into the future. And believe me, they really rethink the way how they work, on mm. what, with who, with whom, and with which kind of tools. Hmm. How do you get them? I'm very curious to understand like your particular approach to this. How do you get them to see the future? Because what mm. we find is Good point. you're so often so stuck in the here and now. Yeah. yeah. And or you have this very far out kind of like weird vision of the future mm. like oh self-driving okay. cars will be everywhere yeah. you know but the yeah. reality yeah. is it's much messier right I, i love this question so i was not trained to be a trend scout and i have no academic background and maybe that helps me a little bit to multiplicate my own experience story so what i do is i provoke a little bit my audience with things i've seen mm. and all the things i've seen so all the things I show, they are existing. It's not fake or like, huh, that will never happen. And I give them with these advanced things for sure and experiences a new reference point. So when I tell the story about the Toyota Woven City, built now since one year close to the Mount Fuji, and what is the idea beyond building an entire city as a one-to-one -one lab, If you see that, you say, oh my God, they're doing that now. I would never believe that. Or if I share the, the, the movie, The Making of Mandalorian, about this idea of a film set and how, what could we learn to mix up the extended and physical realities in a space, what are the opportunities, they'll learn about it. Or if I show a video done at Neighbor in Korea, where inside the company, the office building, On 10, work, on 10 employees, their share is one robot. So there are more than 150 robots inside the building. They get new reference points. And by getting these reference points, they're a little bit lost in this first minutes. Yeah. But then they try, they understand, okay, first, we have to rethink the status quo. Second, we are not ambitious enough. So we have to find for ourselves our level of ambitious 
but critically thinking how mature the company is by themselves. And then the rest is energy. And energy means your own energy and money. Yeah. Hmm. But I work with reference points. I collect all the things I found in my flipboard. Hmm. And, and for sure, I have a report, a giant report library. And I prepare myself in any kind of lecture or workshop, providing my audience the best reference point that they that they get as much as guidance and orientation, like a weather map. That, could that is fantastic. Can I ask, can we get into the head of Raphael for a second? And I'm just curious, mm -hmm. what, are the re what are some of the reference points you're particularly interested in, which get okay. you really excited? I would say my next research wave is understanding the power of automation of knowledge work. Hmm. Means how software like this German startup, Celonis, one of these most fast-growing startups even in the world, they are miners of information and other smaller ones and hidden ones. How they have an impact on automatization of knowledge work means combining with other technologies like hyperscale clouds and AI systems. So this is currently on my mind and also robotics. I'm in Boston in, uh, in December. I got the opportunity to go to two of these leading robotic companies. Mm -hmm. And this is my approach now to, to go deeper in these topics and with these insights, m designing the impact, I believe. And that would be, I would say, my 2023 story. How does the design work you're doing at, at Vitra? So there's a component towards you're helping your clients to understand this and then bigger scale clearly they hopefully make them their like purchase decision you know so that it benefits oh, the company getting, and, and come much more closer to us because Correct. what is critical is <clears throat> trust is also related to the investment security so as the value is not only given by the furniture the value is also by the concept and context you provide to the customers yeah and i would say we are much more closer after in this phase, making the phase zero together with the customer. That's fantastic. How does your mm -hmm. insight in the automation and the mining of knowledge, for example, how does this affect some something as, pardon the language here, like something as mundane as a desk yeah. and a chair? Yeah, that's a good point. There was there was an article for Nick Foster, The Future is Mundane. It goes a little bit along that. So, okay, we have to understand Vitra, 40 years ago, Vitra starts with a paper called Work Spirit or like with the idea of the working spirit. And what they have done is like what I do today. They try to understand 40 years ago what happens outside, a little bit like the whole whole earth catalog and what that means for Vitra for our customers. So, And then every second year it was published. So I do a little bit the same. And the idea is not to give guidance and orientation to the designers. How we work together with the designer is the designer, the author. He, is, he comes up with an amazing idea. And hopefully the family loves this idea and think we should go with that idea and make it happen. And then we make it happen. And then hopefully the customer also loves the idea and buy the chair, the sofa, the table and all the things. So what I do is scaling from the edges but I'm far away off the core of the company. I'm not, I have no impact on design. Mm -hmm. And we, 
and we and there is a firewall or like this Chinese wall in between that. And it's important to do that because on one hand side I get the freedom to go out and to zoom out however I want to zoom out. And in the opposite case, the designers are also free in any kind of decision and our R&D team, what they, what they believe in. And the Yesho, I name it the Yesho or like the resonance, you get it three or four years later always. Yeah. Hmm. Sometimes they surprise me. I never thought about that. And sometimes we wrote a paper. We wrote the first paper about the garage spirit in 2014. And now agile work is, happens all over the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So interesting. You mentioned earlier in our conversation already this notion, and correct me if I get the language wrong, but you talked about space as something which is a physical manifestation and then this digital extension of it. And you mentioned this can be anything as mundane, like today mundane as Zoom, which still, if you think about 10 years ago, oh my God, we get free amazing video calls. That's just bonkers. Clearly, one of the topics a lot of people talk about is the whole metaverse, whatever that means. How do you see this as someone who's working in truly in the field of the future of work and also representing a company which makes you know physical objects in mm-hmm. this space? What are your thoughts on, on virtual reality, augmented reality, metaverse, whatever term you want to use? I'll give you now an interesting, share an interesting story with you. One of the leading and most successful German companies, Siemens, they are now 175 years old since October. There was a giant uh, party celebration and our counselor, Mr. Scholz, got his first NFT from Siemens, by the way. <laughs> so Siemens in summer, Roland Busch, the CEO, met, invited the CEO from NVIDIA And they announced during an analyst, analyst conference, I wouldn't say their wedding, but their collaboration. Mm-hmm. So Siemens are the leading companies. Is I would say they're one of three superheroes in production steering on processing mm-hmm. with their machine called Zimatic. And, and they extend now the superpower of their physical production with the Omniverse from NVIDIA. And when you listen to these guys and read the articles and you read the paper and you see the videos, you see, oh my God, these are untold opportunities. Hmm. If I think about the metaverse and think like the, the mankind challenges, we would have in future opportunities to surround ourselves with really mankind challenges, get a much more better framing than today. We frame today by papers, by Excel, by balance sheets, by an email, by pictures, but that is not enough to understand complexity. And understanding complexity, it is not helpful to reduce complexity. You have to surround yourself with this complexity. And for that reason, out of a business perspective, I believe on the power of the new web. Mm-hmm. On all the other things like gaming or, or interacting, okay, that was like the internet 30 years ago. A few of people don't believe in that. And, and, and I'm really looking forward getting with new kind of glasses and lenses the opportunity to really dive into topics I would never believe to understand them before. Raphael, in this context, do you think that the future, that particular future will arrive first on the consumer or first on the business side? Mm, like always first to the consumer. 
Gotcha. Yeah, good question. I'm at the CES this year again, and I'm really looking forward to that. But I'm aware that the movement comes from the consumer side. And by the way, we can really learn, even from the work perspective, a lot from the consumer side. We mm -hmm. could, I think we could adapt 35-40% on the way like gamers are connected to each other, collaborating, mm -hmm. get credibility, taking jobs over, organize them. You could take it over one-to-one -one and you have a fantastic new organization model. Yeah. You teased us in the beginning and said there's a whole discussion around the zoomed out perspective. I want to come back to that. So take us to the zoomed out world you're seeing, the, the further distant future, the world you are, you're perceiving as, mm -hmm. as it relates to us. Yeah, by the way, the zoom out, I was inspired by the zoom out by a friend from both of us, from John Hegel. His team from the Center for the Edge from Deloitte, they produced this paper, Zooming In, Zooming Out, I think in 2018 or 2017. Yeah, and I would say I changed it. I adapted a little bit on my own way, but mm -hmm. I was for sure inspired by this matter. Okay. So <clears throat> zooming out, Whoa. this <laughs> this could be a dystopian and utopian world. Okay, first I'm an optimist and I always believe in a preferred future. So if I zoom out, I believe energy is free in around nine or 10 years from now. Mm -hmm. And I highly believe that the future markets which have the power to be to get visibility like on these on the capital market yeah like on the stock exchange there are driven by circularity they are driven by renewable energy they are driven by the entire health and well-being agenda on one hand side but on the other side uh, climate change will hit us massively by losing 25 or 30% of land, what we could use today, not only by flooding, but also that you couldn't uh, harvest anymore on these areas. Just to give you an idea, in Germany, in the eastern part of Germany, we will, we are not able anymore to harvest there the food, what we harvest today. So we have to change the plants we seed out and you need in general 10 years for this kind of, so this is another challenge. So on the other side, If it sounds bright that circularity is clear, renewables are near and all these things. So on the opposite side, we are really faced with the impact of climate change. If you look back in the memory of mankind, there's a Swiss author called Bruno Grunold and his book is called Nothing But The World. And in his book, Nothing But The World, he described out of 2,500 years of mankind stories, epochal events like COVID, more than 200, 250 ones. And if you read them, you always see that mankind take, they always have their own challenges and they make it happen in a way. Mm -hmm. And that gives me for sure the optimism. And now I'm part of this story. So myself, now I'm inside this kind of story And, and for sure, this book helps me also during the pandemic to be optimistic and find my own place. Yeah. Zooming out one more time, 
you have clearly someone who has done who have done a lot of research, a lot of reading, a lot of sourcing of material. For anyone who is interested, you know, for our listeners here, who is interested into like getting into your head, but also just like broadening their horizons. What are a couple of resources you recommend? Maybe your own resources or stuff you know you would point to. Zooming out means you have to leave your field of expertise and where you are trained in. Hmm. So if you're an architect or if you're an engineer, leave the field of the architect and engineer and try to get as much conversation with people outside of your bubble first. Second is you have to make jumps. Jumps means if you think about robotics, don't buy a book about robotics. Go on Google, type in robotics and type new and find hmm. all the latest articles about robotics. And then believe me, after two or three articles, you will guide it to a conference. Then you go to the conference, you watch the speakers, and then you find the most advanced people, the protagonists of a new world. So mm. first. Second, you have to go, to understand the future, you have to go to the people who design and shape the future. Mm. Not by Zoom, not by calling them, you have to go there to give you an idea. LG in Korea and Seoul, they have an R&D lab with one million square meters. This is a giant building. If you understand a company runs an R&D site in this scale, you know which kind of superpower they have. Mm -hmm. So means getting these kind of real life examples or seeing the robots of neighbor in Korea, that also, that shocks you a little bit and provokes you a little bit in the first second, but that sees you how far maybe your mindset is away of these things. Then sources. I, I'm running now my Flipboard since eight years, and inside there are now 3,500 articles inside. But what is much more interesting, 95,000 times people flip into my Flipboard. Hmm. So it's open to anyone. You, you only type at Google Raphael's Flipboard. And I collect their articles about technology, society, economy, architecture, and a few, for sure sustainability and a few articles about art and culture. So, and this white, I think this white screen is a good training to understand how the things are related to each other and to understand the wider context. And yeah, what is a quick win always, or like I would say a sweet spot, Companies like Designit, IDEO, mm -hmm. uh, Frog of Fjord, always, and from the research companies, the leading think tanks and the boutiques like, if it is a McKinsey, a World Economic Forum, Brookfield, the papers from the universities, leading ones, yeah. Let me ask the last question. This is an incredible list of, of resources and we'll definitely make sure that we link to some of them specifically, of course, your Flipboard in the show notes. When you talk to organizations, what is your personal advice to them in terms of how do you balance the future and the here and now? Because clearly, wow, right, like you mm -hmm. need to make money in the here and yeah, now. What is I, your advice there? I always describe the here and now as a garden. Mm -hmm. If you have a garden, you have to take care about the garden every day. So, And then they know, okay, it's still important and I have to take a focus on my garden. And if when I tell about the future, I always tell them, if you want to have shadow, if you want to enjoy the shadow, you have to plant trees. Hmm. That is a long-term perspective. 
So I always try to find examples which are close to them and what you immediately understand, even if you're five or six years young. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So nothing, I would say, nothing high sophisticated. From your perspective, I love the analogy, by the way, like the garden and the trees. It's incredible. How much, like uh, roughly, how much time would you suggest to an executive listening to this saying, like, I get really excited about this. How much time do I spend in the future? Good point. I would say if you if you are good, after, after a while, if you are trained, 15%, 10% is enough. Mm-hmm. And then you are good for tourists. But my first mission, my first message is, you can't address the future to someone else. Hmm. It's not like your tax office, or it's not like your, how to say, your doctor. The future is your own agenda. You would never address the future of your kids to someone else. Mm-hmm. And why you should address the future of you, yourself, or your company to someone else. And, and deep in our, there is one muscle still sleeping, and this is, the muscle of the futurist, and we all are futurists. Raphael, on those wise words and this, <laughs> I love the statement that we are all futurists. You're absolutely correct. I like absolutely agree with that. This was a really fascinating conversation. I loved how we went from the future of work to talk about these crazy weak signals which we are we're seeing, and then you know got back to very practical terms of like how do you actually do this? For everybody listening to this, we'll make sure that in the show notes you have links to Raphael's work. Also at Vitra, you publish quite a bit of truly E-papers, insightful yeah. and, and remarkably detailed papers on the future of work, etc. So make sure that we link to those as well. And if you want to have a beautiful design desk and chair and other design objects, you definitely want to check out Vitra's a pretty wide array of, of furniture and other design objects. So with that being said, Raphael, thank you so much. This was incredible. Loved the conversation. Welcome. And great to see you on the way on video next time in Bulda. That is exactly what's going to happen. So thank you so much. And everybody listening, see you and hear you soon. Hey, it's Pascal. Thanks for tuning in on this episode of Disrupt Disruption. If you want more, check out the other episodes we have on this podcast. And if you liked it, do us a favor. Go on your podcasting platform of choice, iTunes, Google Play, whatever it is, and leave a quick review. It helps tremendously with getting the insights from our guests out into the world. If you have any questions, send me an email. You can reach me at pascal at finet.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I will hear you here soon. <laughs>